We're starting a new series called Overcomer, and I'm very excited uh, about what that is going to look like. Um, and so um, in order to sort of get us started, a couple of quick questions. One is, what is an overcomer, and what am I overcoming? And so I want us to kind of struggle and, and wrestle with those questions over the next number of weeks. What, what does an overcomer look like? Because I want to be an overcomer. I mean, no one reads this and goes, nah, I'm going to opt out of that word. No, I want to be an overcomer. What does that look like? And what, what exactly am I overcoming? So we're going to tackle a number of those things. But first, we're going to do something that we'll do every week. And so today it may be a little clunky, but then you'll get used to it. It'll be awesome. Right? It's going to be awesome. So um, stand to your feet, please. And then um, we're going to read up on the screen together um, a confession of an overcomer. Now, this is not a professional confession of an overcomer because I just literally made it up, but I think it's pretty good. And at the very least, it's going to help all of us. So we're going to start with the first one and um, we're going to read it all together. One, two, three. I am who he says I am. I have everything he says I have. It's pretty good. Next slide. He has made a way for me to live in peace and right standing with God. Yes, that is true. Next one. I am not stuck. Pause. I am not helpless or powerless. Pause. So let that sink in. I am a child of God. We're going to read that just one more time because I like it. I am not stuck. I am not helpless or powerless. I am a child of God. Yes. All right, last one. So today, I like the dramatic pauses. So today, no matter what I face, I choose to believe I am an overcomer. Come on, give yourself a hand. Today, today I choose to believe it. You can be seated. I know you're going to look forward to that next week. Next week, you're going to be telling your friends, like, you cannot wait till he starts because we're going to get to stand and we're going to get to confess. It's going to be awesome. Acts chapter 27, and we're going to start out in a passage that uh, we're going to kind of be unpacking a little bit. And verse 20, and it's this sort of epic story that unfolds in the whole chapter of 27 and then also even in 28. But we're going to pick up in verse 20, and it says, The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until la at last all hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all the damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though, yeah, the ship's going to go down. It's no big deal. Just threw that in there. Verse 23. But the last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I, whom I serve, stood before me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage. For I believe God... For I believe God, this is Paul talking to the sailors again, it will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. 
Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you want to speak to us in regards to what does it look like for us to rise up this year and believe? Believe something maybe that we've never been able to believe before about ourselves, about uh, the purpose that you have for us, that there is a purpose to it all, to believe that we're strong when we feel weak, to believe that you're enough. And so we thank you that as you speak to us, there's something that ignites in our heart today in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message is, I am convinced. I am convinced. What does it look like to be an overcomer? Well, it starts with somebody that says, I'm convinced. Um, my voice is a little hoarse because I was in Atlanta uh, all week this last week because I went and brought my son. Uh, he and I went to a, com- a conference in Atlanta called the Passion Conference. And it's like this big movement that's been going on for 20 years. And once a year, they gather young adults and high school students, pack out arenas and just go after God. And I was a little skeptical at first, but I, I, I mean, I, I, I believe that it was going to be awesome and it ended up being incredible. But um, I, I don't know about you, but um, when I travel, it, it's difficult because I'm a little bit of a finicky sleeper. Like I got to have the right pillow and it's got to be the right temperature and it's got to be dark and the white noise and, you know, a good bed that does, you know, isn't like lumpy. And, you know, I'm just like, I don't know. And, and not only that, but I'm a guy who needs my sleep. Now I recognize that there are some of you that you could go on four hours of sleep, not just one day. Anyone can do that for one day. Don't pat yourself on the back because you could do it for one day. But if you can do that for like three or four or five days and be fine, then, you know, we're going to applaud you because that's a, that's a feat. I am not that guy. So raise your hand if, if you're like, I, I genuinely can go without a lot of sleep for relatively long periods of time. So like, I just, I'm, I admire you. I just really do. The rest of us in the room, which is the majority, need our sleep. Now, raise your hand if you're the kind of person that like, you're on the opposite extreme. And you're like, no, I actually, I'm like an eight to nine hour person. All right. I, I feel so warm and fuzzy around this group right here. So the first night we're in Atlanta and um, I, I specifically asked for a room with two beds because it's my son and I. Um, and you know, my son is 16 years old. He's taller than I am. And he is, I don't know if all teenagers are like this, but you know, he's a bit of a wild sleeper, you know, like we'll walk into his room and wake him up in the morning and, you know, he's sleeping, you know, perpendicular to the bed or he's on the floor. You know, he just, he sleeps well. He just moves a lot. You know, uh, he's a growing boy. What are you going to do? And so I'm like, I really don't want to sleep on the same bed because it's not going to go well. So give us two beds. Well, we get to the desk. Oh, sorry, you ordered one bed. And I said, I know I didn't order, reserve one bed. I reserved two beds. Now, sorry, it says there's only going to be one person in the room and it's one bed. And so we don't care if it's two persons, but you're only going to get one bed. And I said, I need two beds. And they said, sorry, the conference is full. Like we're, we're done. And um, you can get two beds, but it's a, like a big upgrade because the allotment of rooms for this conference, all the two beds are out. You get one bed. So I'm like, it was, you know, 
more money than I wanted to spend for the upgrade. So I'm like, how bad can it be? It's a king size bed. So we get up there, we go to sleep. And uh, I mean, I don't know if there's like a scale of one to 10 on bad nights of sleep, but if there is 10 being you didn't sleep, I had a nine. I'm not exaggerating. I woke up 14 times. And I think I had like 30 minutes of sleep in between those 14 times because the bed, it looked like, okay, this is going to sound mean, but I'm not trying to be mean. It looked like it was an older bed where some, you know, relatively larger people had slept on it in the same place for like 20 years. So it just had these deep rivets on both sides of the bed, right? So I just have a finicky back and it just doesn't work for me. Anybody with me? Anybody that's just like, that wouldn't work for you? So I literally, in the middle of the, the, middle of the night, I get the, like, the extra blanket and I fold it up so it's thick and I put it in the groove, hoping that like just to try to level it out didn't help. So I wake up in the, in the, in the morning and I mean, I literally feel like I got ran over by a truck. I just felt horrible. And again, I'm the guy who needs a lot of sleep. So Caleb's good to go. He's 16. He doesn't, I mean, he could sleep on, you know, needles and he'd be fine. So, you know, he's like, dad, let's do this. And I'm just haggard. I get my coffee. And so I, I just instantly had this mindset. As soon as I woke up, I had this like thought in the middle of my mind, I'm going to get sick. It's a long day. It's traveled. My body's worn out. And I have like a marathon conference schedule coming up. And I'm just like so bummed. I'm like, I'm going to get sick and I feel horrible and the conference is going to be ruined. I want to be here for my son. And so for the first half of the day, because the conference didn't start till the evening. So the first half of the day, I'm a walking zombie. Caleb's like, let's do this. And I'm just like, son, I'm so sorry. We traveled. We walked around a little bit. It was horrible. I went back to the room and I took a nap. Caleb's, you know, bless his heart. He's just like enduring. He's watching TV while I'm taking a nap. I wake up from my nap. I still feel horrible. And I'm just, I just, I couldn't get out of my head. I'm going to get sick and the conference is going to be ruined. And I don't know if you've ever had something stuck in your head and it's just, you're convinced. And I'll never forget, I get out of the bed and Caleb, he's been super gracious this whole time, you know. At this point, I feel like he's kind of had enough. <laughs> he's like, come on, dad, get yourself together, you know, because <laughs> I'm not sick. I'm just telling myself, I'm worn down. I'm going to get sick. It's not going to be good. And he just kind of hits me on the shoulder. He goes, hey, Dad, so like, are we going to have a good day or what? That's all he said. And it's just like, just like that. And I'm like, what's my problem? It's going to be a great day. Like, I just got to get up and get out of my head. Turn to your neighbor and say, you just got to get up and get out of your head. And so I immediately, Heather texted me, how's it going? And I told her, I, I, I literally specifically worded it. I was like, I had a horrible night's sleep and I'm exhausted. And then I went space and I went, but my spirits are encouraged and it's going to be a great day. And it's interesting because it wasn't just any trip, but it was the most amazing trip. 55,000 high school students and young adults packed out the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. I mean, there wasn't a seat to be had to worship God and learn about his word 
get saved, get changed. I mean, and it wasn't like they were just there to party. They were into it. All these guys were bringing Bibles and journals, and they were in it the whole time. It was incredible. I have a couple of pictures. One versus Caleb and I, and it's this is the stadium. This was outside. We were waiting to get in. It was absolutely freezing cold. I mean, the lines to get into this place was bonkers. And I mean, you thought you were going to like the, the, the Super Bowl. They were that into it. I'll tell you what, there's hope for this generation because I was just with 55,000 of them that were going for God. And the next picture is just one picture I took in the stadium. We're at the very top. Again, I mean, you, everywhere where you see seats, obviously behind the stage, there was no seats. But everywhere you see seats, not a single seat available. Commerce was totally sold out. We're in the very top, if you haven't figured that out yet. And even when we got up to the very, went up to the thing, we talked to the usher because we couldn't find a seat. We're at the nosebleeds and we can't find a seat. And they like had to look for us to get two seats. That's how packed it was. And they were going after God. And I asked Caleb if he wanted to skip out on one of the sessions because on one of the days it was like 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Then you break for dinner and then you go to another one. And this is, these aren't like, you know, seasoned Christians. These are just like high school students and young adults. And I asked Caleb, you want to go back to the hotel after the third session? I'm like, I'm kind of tired. I could go back to the hotel and watch a little TV, you know? And he's like, no, dad, I don't want to miss out. And this isn't to just show off my son. That's just to say, listen, God's doing something here. And it was just, it's just so interesting how the enemy, listen, I, they, they, we don't find a devil under every rock and we don't blame everything on the enemy. But I'll tell you what, when you're tapping on something incredible, when you're at the door of something incredible like 2024 and all the things that God has for you, you better believe the enemy's involved in trying to convince you of all the wrong things and trying to keep you from certain things and keep you hanging on to other things. And so I want to talk to you about being convinced today, but you have to understand that you can be convinced of the wrong things too. And we see that in this storm. And so the first idea that really we want to dive into today is storms will try to steal your confession or your resolve these storms. See, Paul found himself in a massive two-week-long storm. We didn't read all of it, but you have to understand there's almost 300 sailors on this ship, and it's two weeks long, and it says that literally the sun and the moon were blotted out, which meant it went, you know, 24 hours for two weeks, and it was like a typhoon-style storm. Some storms last weeks. Some storms last years. But going into this thing, Paul, this is the apostle Paul. He was confident going in. And it says at the end of that scripture that we read, and they fought it and they fought it and they fought it. And finally, all hope was gone. And then an angel showed up and the angel showed up. Why? Because all hope was gone. Because storms have a way of stealing your confession. I went into the week going, I'm going to have an amazing week. 
I'm with my son. This is we've been like planning this. I told both my kids when I turn 16, I'm going to take you to this thing. It's going to be incredible. And just like that, one night of bad sleep, and all of a sudden, my confession is, I'm going to get sick and the conference is ruined. What? Like, where does that come from? Guess who didn't get sick? And guess who, whose conference wasn't ruined? Mine. But the enemy was trying to steal my confession. And I'll tell you what, each of us have a confession going into this new year. Now, maybe you haven't said it out loud. Maybe you haven't written it on a poster board yet. Many of us have the same confession going into every year. And some of them are really good and positive, but there are some that run in the background of your life and mine. And they're things you're convinced of. Things about your life. Things about the things that hold you back. Things that happen to you. Things about your future and the way that you see God and the way you see your place in the world. And you're convinced of them. It's not even a question. And the enemy has designed those things specifically to keep you from the conference. He wants you staying in the hotel. You're sick. What are you doing? And I'll tell you what, God wants to convince you of some new things this year. You guys excited about that? The enemy has thrown everything he can at you to define you by your greatest storm. Because he knows that if he can convince you of some things during that storm, that even when the storm's gone, you're still shipwrecked on the inside. You're convinced. I love Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It'll be up on the screen. It says this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holy, holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed from, with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. I'll tell you what, there's some stuff that we can grab a hold of and be confident in, and I love that passage. Let's, brethren, let's have boldness to enter the holy of holies. This is where we're headed. The enemy would love us to be far less sure, less confident, less certain. So we settle for a weak and powerless life. But God has a different idea for 2024. So we ask the question, um, so how would life be different if you were convinced that you had everything that you need? How would life be different today if you were convinced you had everything you need. I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about in every area to accomplish the things that are in your heart, to be who God's called you to be. How would it be different if you were convinced of that? Like you had everything you need. How would you live different? Now, if you're like me and you read the passage that, that we read out of Acts, then you notice that an angel shows up and, and encourages 
Paul. Now, this is Apostle Paul, and he has these amazing experiences. And so I think if we're honest, we could say, listen, if I had an angel come and encourage me in my moment of distress, then I would be fully encouraged. I mean, can you imagine going through a storm and an actual angel shows up where you can visibly see them and they speak to you and tell you all the things that you need to hear and encourage your heart? You'd walk away and you'd say, honey, we're good. I know the finances don't look good. Amen. I know so there's some things that we need to navigate. There's some answers that I don't have to some questions that we are asking. However, an angel has come and spoken to me. And I think that this is kind of where we sometimes find ourselves where we're like, God, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to do something. I'm waiting for you to show up. I'm waiting for you to speak to me. I'm waiting for you to show me something. I need you to show me you're real. I need you to, I need you to do something for me, God. And listen, there's nothing wrong with going into the year saying, God, we want more of you. We sang it. We want more of you. We're desperate for you. God, I'm asking you to come and continue to speak to me, do something new, new wine. All of those things is positive. But I think we can get into a, an unhealthy rut where we're saying, God, I need you to come and do something for me in order for me to get forward, go forward and get through this and be okay. And listen, I'm just here to say, and this is the second point, God has sent someone better than an angel to encourage you. In 2024, at the beginning of this year, you need to understand what he has done and who he sent to encourage you. And for starters, Man, um, I wrote this. God had put his words, thoughts, plans, and promises down in writing so we could have them. It's as if he said, listen, I wanna make sure that you know who you can count on. I wanna make sure who, you know who you are. I wanna make sure you know who created you. I want you to know where you're headed, what you can expect, the plans that I have for you. And I wrote it all down and then I gave it to you. I made that for you. I mean, I didn't make it but he made it. And then he would say, that's me. And I gave it to you. And then he would say, and then I breathed on it. So it's alive. I'm gonna have, I need that back, thanks. Listen, I know that many of us read the Bible on, a, on an app and that's awesome. The app is awesome. And or a tablet, my, my eyes like that better anyways, because I got to wear glasses most of the time when I read it out of this. So it doesn't matter where you read it. The point is when you read it, it's alive. And God gave it to you and me to give us power and authority and certainty 
It's living and active. And I'll tell you, as we come into this new year, I just think that we should drive a stake in the ground and say, no, I believe in the word of God and I'm going to dig into it this year because I don't need an angel. I got him. And then he would say, and I sent my spirit and I put him inside of you. And I empowered you with power from on high. In fact, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, which was a lot of power, by the way. I mean, in order to raise Christ from the dead required a lot of power. And that same spirit lives inside of us. And so I don't think we should ask or wonder or think for another moment, maybe God, you could send like someone to help me or I'm gonna throw out a fleece. I need you to do something for me. If only I had an angel come and speak to me. Listen, you got God Almighty on the inside of you. You're carrying him around and he's living and he's breathing into you. Listen, you're much more powerful than you think. Romans chapter eight, and this is just like jumping off the page at me all week long. And we're going to, listen, you could read the whole chapter. Uh, Most theologians say this is the most powerful book in the most powerful chapter in the whole Bible. Romans 8, 15 says this, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So listen, you're not arbitrary. You're put into a family And now you have direct access to God Almighty, but he's not just God Almighty to you because you're a child of God, so you get to call him Father. Verse 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heir of God, and joint heirs with Christ which means everything that he says you have, you have. Down in verse 31 and 32 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Listen, I know if you've been in church, you've probably read through this and it might even be highlighted or underlined in your Bible. But like, man, if this ever gets old or like, ah, have you ever read something in your Bible and you're like, it's already underlined. So I'm like, oh, I already got that. Let's just let at the beginning of this year, as we, as we say, no, the word of God is going to be a part of my life. Can we just open it up and just let us slap us a little bit? Like a, like, a, like a cold splash of water in the middle of the morning, right? Just, just like wake us up. Like, no, I haven't just read that before. This is new to me. Oh my gosh, as a child of God, he's given me all things. So how would your life be different if you knew that you had everything you needed? What are the things you would be convinced about? And the word conviction, being convinced is a powerful thing because men can persuade, women can persuade people. We can persuade each other. And that's what I'm doing today. That's what I'm attempting to do by the word of God is persuade us to believe certain things. 
but only the Holy Spirit can convince you. And if your spouse is convinced of something, it doesn't mean you're convinced. It doesn't mean your family's convinced. You, you have to be convinced. And so this is a very personal word today. Coming into this year, really asking ourselves, what am I convinced about? I know a lot of things. You know a lot of things. What am I convinced of? And where did that come from? Last is this, Romans chapter 8, verse 37 and 38. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he says, for I am convinced. Yet in all these things. Well, Paul would say, even in shipwreck, that was a bad day. We're going to get to that. Man, I sure wish, wish an angel would come speak to me. I sure wish, wish an angel would come encourage me like Paul. I mean, I think sometimes, you guys, we miss the reality of what we have. An angel come and say what? I think he'd probably come and say, dude, have you seen Romans 8? It's amazing. You should read it. So, so Paul swam ashore. And the next kind of header after what we read is the shipwreck. And the whole next part of the chapter, chapter 27, is how the ship went down. It was epic. But all 276 sailors were saved. They swam to shore. And we're going to pick up, and I didn't put, up, put it up on the screen, so I just want you to visualize this. This is chapter 28, and this is what happened next in the story. It says this. Once safely on the shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. Anybody ever been to Malta? Have you been to Malta? Incredible. I mean, I think it's incredible because you've been there. I don't know if Malta's incredible, but we know Malta's a real place because, I mean, I, I didn't plant Rhonda. That wasn't, that wasn't a plan. But, but Rhonda has verified that Malta's a real place. Thank you. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. In verse three, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened to his hand. I don't know about you, but it just creeps me out just reading it. I mean, this is, this is like not any kind of snake bite where, you know, you just kind of goes like this. I mean, Viper comes out, latches on, and is now hanging on his hand. Oh, heebie-jeebies. And now verse 4. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped the sea, the, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. Verse 5. But Paul shook off shook it off the snake into the fire and it suffered no ill effects. Verse six, 
The people, expecting him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, neither of which would have been good. But after waiting a long time, seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and they said, he must be a God. Now, listen, this is just like sort of a side note because it's not my last point, but I think it's worth mentioning that as we're talking about what we're going to be convinced about in this new year, that you shouldn't base what you're convinced on by what other people think. Because one minute you're a murderer and the next minute you're a God. People are fickle. And listen, I know you have some good friends and I know you have some good family members and I know they're well-intentioned, but I'm just saying what you're convinced about, what you're going to bring into this new year, what you're going to drive a stake into the ground on should be what God says about you and not what some person said about you. Not an idea in somebody else's mind about the potential that you have or don't have, the place that you land in the world, what somebody said about you before that you've been dragging on year after year as like a baseline of who you are. Can we just let that die today and believe and be convinced of something new? Amen? The last idea is this. When you're convinced, you start shaking things off. Paul didn't have time for that snake. He shook it off into the fire. But I think that oftentimes the mentality that we can have is that we get so enamored and so wowed and so like, oh my gosh, did you see that viper come out of the, of, of the fire? Like it, it latched onto my arm. You see it hanging there. It's gnarly. I mean, if you were there in that moment, you, you would have been like, dude, that was crazy. You would have been telling that story for weeks and months. Like, dude, even if it didn't happen to you, it would have been crazy. And I think a lot of the times when we navigate the, our own storms in our life, they become larger than life. And we're like, Did you, do you know what happened to me? Do you know what I'm walking through? You know what I did? Do you, you understand? And we just make them these big things. And it begins to convince us some stuff that has no business coming into the new year. And so I think if we're honest, some of us have some stuff hanging out on our arm. It doesn't belong. So it's a simple question. What's, what's hanging around that has no business coming into this new year on your life? And maybe you knew it all along, but here's the reality. Unless you're convinced, it's tough to shake it off. You've tried. You've tried to shake it off. I've tried to shake it off. There's some stuff in my life as I'm walking through this, like, unless I'm convinced of what he says about me, then it just lingers, doesn't it? The insecurity and the doubt, the anxiety and the worry, the fear of the unknown, the unforgiveness, 
it just lingers. And I'll tell you what, there is something so powerful about being convinced. And as I was preparing this message, I just felt like the Lord said to tell them they have way more authority than they think they do. Because when you're under authority, you have authority. That's how that works. Do you remember when Jesus had the centurion come to him and the centurion's servant was sick and he was telling Jesus, my servant's sick. And Jesus says, I'm coming right now. And he goes, no need because I'm a man under authority and I have authority. And so I know when I tell my servant to do something, they do it. And so Jesus, I know you have authority. Just say the word. Are you under authority today? Well, I'll tell you what. If not, this is a great moment to drive a stake in the ground and say, coming into this new year, I'm under the authority of God. He is my authority. He gets the last word. He tells me who I am. He gives me my confession. He's gone before me. He is my shepherd. I'm not looking to my boss. I'm not looking to the government. I'm not looking to my friends. I'm certainly not looking to the past to tell me what this year is going to be. He's my authority. And so because of that, I have authority. Are you convinced of that? Are you convinced that you have authority? Well, Pastor Shane, I, I'm going I'm to work on that and I'm going to start getting in my Bible and I'm going to start praying some more and maybe at some point I'll get the authority badge. It's not a badge of honor. It's a right as a son and daughter. So if you've been walking with Jesus a really long time, you get, you get authority. If you get saved tonight, you get authority. And you get to tell the darkness, not anymore. Not here, not today, not in my house, not in my head, not in my heart. I'm walking free today. I'm walking whole today. Now listen, that doesn't mean that you don't need help. You don't need friends. You don't need counseling. Listen, we all need to walk through processes to get through the things that we're in. But in the middle of all that storm, Listen, the shipwreck was real and the ship got demolished and they got washed up on shore. Sometimes storms happen. But in the middle of it, I'm walking with authority. I'm going to be convinced of some things and I'm going to impact everybody around me. Everybody around Paul knew Oh, we're making through this. Yeah, this is going to be horrible. The water's cold and there's snakes out there and it's, it's, there's going to be a bummer of a season. But can I tell you what? We're making it through. You're going to see miracles. It's going to be incredible. What is your confession? Because what your confession is comes from what you're convinced of. And so listen to what comes out of your mouth. Listen to what's rattling around in your brain. That's your confession about your life and your circumstances. And if it doesn't line up with this, then say, you know what? I got to convince myself of some new things this year. Um, as we close, uh, I have a kind of a, a funny question to ask. Um, Raise your hand if you have a tattoo. 
Raise your hand if you do not have a tattoo. Okay, raise your hand if you have a tattoo again. Okay, the non-tattoos get us. No, keep it up. That's okay. Uh, okay, so I want you to keep your hand raised if you're proud of your tattoo, or at least you're proud of at least one of your tattoos. Oh, wow, that's pretty good. Okay, keep, raise your hand if you're not proud of any of your tattoos. Okay, there's a few. <laughs> so it dawned on me. You guys are like, what is going on here? Is he going to rebuke us for having tattoos? Well, I hope not. Um, so but this is not a, a theology about yes or no on tattoos. It, it dawned on me that there, there's three, three reasons why people get tattoos. One is that you are peer pressured. Like, you know, there was like when we went to Israel and I got this tattoo, there was like a group of us pastors and they were like, we're in Israel. We got to get us some kind of a powerful tattoo, you know, and like that's not why I got one. But I'm sure there are a few of them that were just like, all right, I got to get a tattoo, you know. The second reason why you get a tattoo is because you're, you know, like intoxicated and you don't even remember it until the next day. And it was like a bad idea, right? Uh, and the third reason is because you were convinced more than anybody else could have been convinced about something. Because this is going to be there your whole life. And those of you who don't have a tattoo, you're like, I know, that's why I don't have a tattoo. But like, you were convinced. This is going to be there when I get married. It's going to be there when I'm 70. Like I am all in for whatever it is. Why? Because it has meaning and whatever, whatever reason you are convinced. It's just like I'm all in. And it's kind of like a little club that tattoo people is like, yeah, we're all in. You know, we're convinced. And my prayer as we close and go into this new year is that the Holy Spirit would write on you with indelible ink something from heaven that you'll never forget. That will be so evident it will mark you. This year, what is it? What are you saying goodbye to? And what are you saying yes to? You're saying, no, I'm gonna trade that, that thing that's been hanging on me for a mark from the Holy Spirit, from heaven. And it's gonna replace that thing that's been dragging me down. It's been keeping me, doubting me, even my wife, has been telling me, my husband has been telling me like, no, you need to believe certain things and you need to, and it's just like, I can't, there's just this cap on your life. It's been hanging on you. And I'm telling you, now is the time to take authority over that thing and say, no, it's not gonna hang out anymore. And it's gonna be replaced by Holy Spirit ink. And you're gonna be so proud of it you're going to be like, get it on my neck. I want a tattoo on my neck. You ever see those people? You're like, dude, why would you? Like, it's, you can't even hide that anymore, you know? Like, that's, you just, you're so convinced. I want it right there. One of those Christians. I got boldness. Maybe it's how you come before the Lord. You come hanging your head. You come just cowering and feeling unworthy. 
And maybe the new mark God gives you is, don't you dare hang your head. You're a son and daughter of the king. You're worthy because of what Jesus did, not because of what you do. So come knowing that God's like, come on. I love you. I want to speak to you. I want to fill you. I want to give you with boldness and authority in his name. Who are you? And what are you convinced of today? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit right now coming and filling this room. I thank you that as you do, God, you're going to be faithful to identify the things in us that have been hanging on, that have no business clinging to a child of God. And so, Father, we're asking that you'd remove those things in Jesus' name and Holy Spirit, mark us in this moment. Mark us with a new identity that we might be convinced. And we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you.